You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. So welcome to Cutaneous Miscellaneous. We are the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Um, I'm sorry if I seem a little flustered. I just performed in the Magic Mike dance show out in the lobby and... Uh, one of the dancers pulled a muscle, so they called me last minute, and I said, guys, I got the podcast, I can't do it, but, but I'm able to make both, and I think I made it here with enough time to spare. So before we get started, um, just want to reintroduce the reason for the podcast, and do that through my love of reading and literature. I love Ernest Hemingway, and my favorite book by him is A Death in the Afternoon, and the quote in that book that I love the most is by the main character, and he says that some lessons take longer to learn than others, and time, which is all we have, must be paid heavily for their acquiring. So what does this have to do with dermatology and dermatology residency? Well, everyone only has about three years, three to four years to become a board certified dermatologist. That's not much time. So we're hoping to put out these podcasts to help people learn these lessons that may take many years. And when you're ready to go, ready to graduate, you'll be ready to go from day one. We've had so many great episodes this past year, and we're in season two. Things like social media principles, medical legal principles, financial principles, how to match in a certain fellowships, clinical trials, find your niche in dermatology. And I've gotten so much great feedback from the residents, and they love the board review, they love the advice, and I'm happy to always get more feedback from everybody out there. So please give me all your ideas. If you want to be guests, we've got many opportunities. And today we're going to talk about the bumpy road of dermatology, and it could be called the smooth road, but I don't have any amlactin on me, so it's the bumpy road today. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about how to handle difficult patients, which is a very important topic because difficult patients are in every medical specialty, and we want to get some tips on how to handle them because if you don't know how to handle difficult patients, your job's going to be really hard. And I've got two wonderful special guests with me today to give us some tips on how to do this. Dr. Beth McClellan, she's Chief of Dermatology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and Dr. Steve Dave Louie, he's Associate Professor and Program Director at Wayne State. So welcome both. How are you guys doing? Thanks very much for having us. I'm doing great. Thank you. Excited to be here. Really nice to have both of you here. Want to start off with just give me some general tips on dealing with a difficult patient, which there's many kinds of difficult patients, but I think you kind of know one when you see one. So difficult patient comes in, give me a couple of tips on how to diffuse a situation. Um, sure. One thing I always do is just kind of step back, take a deep breath. Don't be reactive in the moment. You have to kind of collect your thoughts, make sure you're staying calm. Um, and sometimes that means I leave the room. So especially if the patient is in a gown, it's a good chance to say, you know what, why don't you get dressed so we can sit down and have a conversation together. It gives the patient a moment to calm down and it also gives you a moment to kind of collect your thoughts and calm down as well. And I think another thing that is helpful is to remind the patient that you're on their side, you're here to help them, you want what's best for them. So you can kind of redirect the conversation back into what your relationship should be is taking care of their medical problem. Having said that, you don't want to dismiss their complaint or their issue. You still want to address it, let them know you're going to work on it, try to make things better. Our patients kind of consider us the boss of the whole clinic because you're the doctor. So if anybody does anything wrong, they're going to let you know about it. So it's good to let them know we'll handle that. But let's talk about your health again and really focus on what you're here for. That's great. Dr. Dave Louie, tell me about body language and how does that incorporate into these difficult patient encounters? Body language is critical because the, when the patient is having a hard time and they start complaining to you or getting upset, they're talking. And if you interrupt them, that can only make things worse. So you've got to use your body language to start conveying that you'll understand them. So you 
turn on all your empathy skills, you make your sort of sad face, oh, I'm, I'm upset this is, and you can even think to yourself in your head what you're gonna say, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you, I'm upset. You can lean in, if it's appropriate, you can put a hand on their shoulder or hold their hand, um, but you wanna make sure you're not giving off any sort of negative body tone with arms crossed or kind of leaning back. And sometimes it's hard because like, uh, like Beth said, you're, you're caught up in those emotions yourself. You know, you gotta temper your own reaction to what's going on, because otherwise they'll read it all over you. Dr. McClellan, any thoughts on that? I agree completely. I think it's also important to be sitting. When you talk to a patient, you wanna be on the same level. Um, if they're sitting up on a table, like I said, sometimes when they change back into their clothes, having them sit in a chair so it feels more like a conversation and you're on the same level as peers, um, more of a normal conversation. Um, but I agree, having that open body language, making direct physical contact sometimes if it feels appropriate, um, I think those are important tips too. Excellent, great opening tips there. So I had a difficult patient recently and we're gonna go through the visit, what happened together and I need some help from you guys. So I had this patient come in, okay, and the first thing he started doing was yelling in the exam room or in, in the front office in front of all the patients about how upset he was that the doctor could not see him when it was his appointment time. So he starts making a big scene in the waiting room in front of everybody else. Dr. Dave Louie, what would you do to handle that first encounter? So it's good if you have a way to sort of get the patient out of that situation. Because if you start sort of trying to address his complaint in front of the staff, he's gonna be yelling at the staff, sort of trying to make a scene. So if you can kind of kindly say, hey, I, I, I see there's a problem and I wanna help with it. Can you come with me and we'll get you into an exam room and talk about it and figure it out. So it kind of diffuses the situation in front of everybody. And be a little kind to your staff because they might not always handle it the best and they might get upset. So it's another good way for you to sort of swoop in and take over and say, come with me, I'm gonna take care of you um, and we'll get it figured out, move them into the room. Um, then if you do see ways that your staff could have handled it differently, it is okay to go back afterward and say, hey guys, if this happens again in the future, I'd appreciate if you would grab me sooner or you know, just remember that that guy's having a bad day, it's probably, terrible bunch of terrible things don't take it personally you know keep your cool as much as you can so the key things that get them out of the waiting room ASAP so there's not more of a scene okay so the patient's back in the exam room now and Dr. McClellan the first thing the patient says is I went to your colleague down the road and gosh they were horrible how do you respond to that that's a great one I think it's really easy to get caught up in that type of conversation, especially if you recognize that you might disagree with what the prior physician had done, but it's really important never to engage in those conversations. I think it shows a lack of professionalism. We should always kind of be above criticizing prior care. The other thing is we have a lot of new knowledge when we see the patient. You should always give your colleague the benefit of the doubt because they were treating the patient at a different time. Their presentation may have been completely different they didn't have the benefit of knowing what treatments had failed. So it was a, it was a completely different situation. Um, so I think, you know, when a patient complains, I usually say, let's move forward. It's always kind of like looking toward the future. Let's move forward knowing what we know now and work towards getting you better at this point. Right. I'm here. You're, you're with me. Let me help you get better. Okay, Dr. Dave Lilly. So the patient lifts up his shirt and shows you an ob obvious seborrheic keratosis. You look at it and say, benign, everything is fine, you know, great to have you in clinic today. And the patient goes, doctor, you looked at it for one second and already diagnosed me as benign. I'm not paying for this visit. This is ridiculous. What do you do? When it comes to money, if you can plan ahead a little bit, talk to your staff, your office manager, so that you can remove yourself from the money conversation. And not, so I like to say, 
I'm just here to talk about your health. I do what I do, but if you want to talk about money, let me grab my office manager. I don't know anything about the money side of things. They know all about the money. I'm just here for the health part of it. But you have to plan that ahead so that your office manager knows you're going to do it. Then they can kind of come in, handle the situation. But it, it, it's a little helpful if you can kind of remove yourself so they don't associate you with the money. They may still try to pull you back in when the office manager still needs help. And then you got to say, you know, look, we, if I did this for free for everybody, I wouldn't be able to stay in practice and I wouldn't be able to help people out with this. And even though it only took me a second to do that, it's taken years of training for me to get the skills to be able to look at that and know exactly what it is. Yeah, I love that advice. You know, professional service was rendered. You know, you came to me, asked my opinion, and I said it was benign. So, you know, it was, it was an office visit. So, Dr. McClellan, any thoughts on that? Um, I agree. I think it's important to tell your patients and reinforce the knowledge that it took and their primary care doctor may not have been able to look at that spot and realized right away exactly what it was. That's what years of training have done so that we can make it look easy. Also, if your clinic or your institution allows samples, go grab them a little baggie of samples. Everybody feels better when they leave home with a goodie bag. I love that. Everyone loves samples. That's, that's right. Okay, so this patient, uh, finally they're calmed down and you're, you're running behind, very busy clinic, as we all have busy clinics, and patient opens the door, he's got one foot in the exam and one foot out and goes, oh doctor, by the way, I've got one more concern. What do you do? It's always hair loss. <laughs> I was gonna say hair loss, <laughs> yeah. Try some minoxidil and come back in a week. Um, no, I think it's important to say, you know, validate, you know, we've gone through a lot today. Why don't we bring you back really soon so that we can have more time to fully address that concern? I'm not sure that I can do it justice today, but we'll reschedule appointment at your convenience. Yeah, I agree completely. And it's good to a lot of our patients, it takes a while to get in that first appointment. So I also say it's not going to take as long. We're going to schedule one today. So you're not going to have to wait three months to come back and talk about your hair loss with me. We'll be able to do it more quickly. But like you said, I want to give it the appropriate amount of time to really know what's going on and give you the care that you deserve. Right. If you say, hey, we have an action plan, let's schedule an appointment today. And on this date, we'll see you and we'll take care of any concern that you have. That should be really appreciated by the patient. All right, that's, that was a great patient journey. I feel so much better. I wish we talked about this before I saw the patient. <laughs> We're doing this now, so in the future, you know, thanks, thanks for those tips. It was very helpful. I want to talk about some specific difficult patients now, and hopefully you can give me some tips on how to handle them. And the first one is the patient that comes in with a laundry list of complaints, and they actually have a list written out, uh, typed up, with about 10 or 15 things that are going wrong with them. And, of course, you're in a busy clinic, as we all are. Tell me about that. Tell me how to handle that. This is another opportunity to plan ahead. So if you can get whoever rooms your patients, if it's a medical assistant, whoever it is, they usually get the laundry list too. So if you can sort of give them a little canned line that they can say, you know, oh, it sounds like you have a lot of concerns. We really want to make sure that we have time for each of them. So we may not be able to get to all of them today. What are your top three things or two things? Because um, that way the patient, when you come in, already knows. Now they're still going to give you the full laundry list after having said that to the medical assistant. So you can kind of repeat it back and say, you know, we really want to focus on the things that we can get done. Sometimes I, I talk about the literature that shows we know patients don't remember uh, most of the things we tell them at a visit. So if we go over all of those things, you're going to leave home really, leave here really confused. So let's focus on the really important things. And then again, we'll make another visit to handle the others. Dr. McClellan, how about the immediate gratification patient? The patient comes in and said, I want this rash fixed right now because it's bothering me and you know, please just take care of this immediately for me. How do you respond to that? 
science. I think we just have to explain <laughs> that's not possible. And I think setting realistic expectations is really important. A lot of patients expect that their chronic disease will be cured with the treatment and they won't need to continue treating it. I think explaining as much of that upfront as possible to set those expectations will avoid them coming back feeling like they've um, been disappointed in the outcome. So upfront conversations, um, backing up you know, whatever you can with science. We heard a lot this morning about the realistic time course for some of the treatments we use, which sometimes is really quick, um, but sometimes takes a little bit longer to see the results. Right, highlighting this is a chronic disease and you know, we, ju we just can't fix this overnight, but I'm gonna do my best to eventually get you better and, and that's why you're here. How about Dr. Dave Louie, the poorly compliant patients. This patient comes in, you, you gave them a long list of medications and very in-depth directions how to use them and they come in and they said, I don't remember what you gave me, I don't remember what I'm supposed to do and I'm not better. A good first step is to try to figure out why they weren't able to stick to the regimen. It might be an insurance issue that they couldn't get things covered. Maybe it's a socioeconomic status type thing where they couldn't get to the pharmacy, couldn't afford the medication. Um, maybe it was misunderstanding. Um, and then that helps you to address how to get better the next time. If they were confused by the, the regimen, you can write it out for them or have a handout that you give them. If it was a, a pricing issue, then you can look for cheaper alternatives. And sometimes you adjust your therapy based on that. You re kind of realize, all right, this is a little too complicated. This person wants something more simple. Um, so you can adjust and kind of change your strategy. How about a drug diary? Have you ever used something like that where the patient writes down every time they use the drug or when they're supposed to use the drug? Have you found that helpful? You know, Steve, or, uh, um, Steve Feldman out of Wake Forest has some great literature that shows patients lie on the drug diary. <laughs> they want to please you, right? We're all people pleasers. They want you to give them an A plus for doing a great job. So they'll say they use it all the time. They tell us that all the time, right? So sometimes you can be a little less assuming when you ask them about, you know, well, how, how often did we tell you to use that? And then they'll say, I think once a day. Oh, okay, yeah, we, okay. Um, but yeah, I haven't used the diary too much. The people who are really good at the diary are the ones who are not gonna miss their doses anyway. Your patient who's an engineer is gonna come in and tell you exactly what time every day he put his cream on and what results he had. But the average person isn't gonna do it. There are some apps that can help too. Like you can get text reminders that it's time to use your medication. So sometimes those are helpful if you can leverage technology to help people out. All right, I've got one more difficult patient for both of you, and if you can please give me a couple of tips on this one. This is the really nasty, really argumentative patient who all they want to do is make your life a living hell and pick a fight with you on that day. How do you handle that? I think this is one where you definitely need to take a break, take a deep breath, come back in ready to discuss with the patient. But one thing that helps me because it can eat away at you for the rest of the day, those negative feelings, I try to always remember I might be the most positive interaction that that patient has had during the course of their day, and it helps turn my frustration and anger into empathy. Um, and I've been surprised when I moved practices that some of those really nasty patients followed me. It made me realize that like, I'm really the most positive thing in their life, maybe. Um, and so we have to have you know, a little bit of patience and sympathy for people like that. 
Yeah, those are great points. And, and having that empathy and relating to them that, all right, they're having a terrible day or they're really frustrated. Their disease is driving them crazy. And then the other thing is don't take it personally because that goes along with that. They're having a terrible day or there's, you know, they have a lot of bad things going on in their life that it's not about you. But then after you don't take it personally and get upset, do take it personally and think about, okay, why was that hard for me? What can I learn from this for next time to, to kind of reflect on it? And especially as residents, You'll learn some of these skills, but then it's all going to change when you finish residency because the dynamic between you and the patient is going to be different. And so your residency skills are great, but then it's different when now you're the doctor they're seeing. So you'll have to kind of keep learning these skills once you're out of residency too and keep honing them. And it, it takes a long time. That's great. And I have two more questions. Okay. And the first one is we've got a room full of residents and some of them are going to be practicing in a couple of months. So on day one, what can they do to help prevent difficult patient encounters and make the difficult patient encounters go more smoothly if they come up? What can they do to prevent difficult problems? I think uh, you never know what's going to walk into your office, but remembering why we're doing this, we're here to help people. Um, we're dealing with, you know, Life is stressful nowadays, and people are dealing with a lot of outside stressors that we don't know about. So always giving the patient the benefit of the doubt. They may have, you know, like Dave said, sorry, Steve said, struggling with their disease, struggling with their work or financial stresses, whatever it is. We're there to help them. We're on the same team. I think going in with that approach, um, coming together to help them get better is uh, the best mentality you can come in with. And I mentioned a couple of things you can do, like, talking to your MAs about the laundry list and how to handle that, um, working with your staff if there are, are things that seem to be frustrating patients or known problems. And don't forget to ask the people who work in the clinic, you know, what are things patients don't love about our clinic? And then you can kind of work on those. Um, work with your office manager so you know, you know, if, if a patient gets really irate, how do you want to work this together? Do you want me to like swoop in and help? Or do you want to pull them off and take them into your office? Because office managers vary widely on that. Some are super proactive about it, others not so much. And then the other thing you can do mentally is look at these as learning opportunities. There's certain things where we dread doing and you, you see it pop up on your schedule. You're like, oh, I'm gonna have to see this person. So then kind of reframe it for yourself and say, all right, this is an opportunity for me to practice these skills of dealing with a patient who is upset. And I'm gonna look forward to it because I'm gonna get a chance to practice this. If you fake it enough, it kind of works. Those are all amazing points. So on day one, talk to your office staff, say if these things come up, here's how we're gonna handle it, and make it easy to get feedback. Everyone's scared of getting negative feedback, but if you get feedback, that's the only way you're gonna learn and get better encountering difficult patients, and even patients that are happy, you know, and why were they happy? What, what'd you do that made them happy? And you can put those into practice. So we're about out of time. This has been an amazing episode. It really helped me, I think it helped the residents too. So we got one more question and we're in Las Vegas now and I wanna ask each of you, what's your ideal night out in Las Vegas? Is it the clubs, the bars, the shows, the spa, or just watching TV in your room? I'm a big fan in Vegas of going to some show I've never heard of. I'm cheap, so I tend to go to cheaper shows. There are so many great shows here and sometimes you just stumble upon the greatest little show and it's so entertaining and unique and there's kind of crazy things like zombie burlesque, all kinds of stuff. You can see anything in Vegas. Dr. McClellan, how about you? What's your ideal night in Las Vegas? I don't want to say I endorse gambling, but <laughs> you might see me at the craps table later. Okay, I'll, I'll join you there. How about that? <laughs> Dr. Dave Lou, Dr. McClellan, thank you so much. You really helped me out and helped out the residents. Appreciate you joining me today. 
Thanks so much for having Thank us. Thank you. Thanks.